It's good to be here today. We do have a, a lot of folks out of town, and um, a lot of them will be traveling back home today, so let's pray for their safety. Um, before I get started, um, I'd like the church to welcome Mr. and Mrs. Brett Bartol. <laughs> Our latest newlyweds, a week and a day, right? Okay. <laughs> really glad you guys are here. Congratulations. Also, uh, Ramey Collins is here with uh, her children. Uh, some of you know who I'm talking about, and many of you have no idea who she is. Um, Ramey and I go back farther than she even knows. I think, you know, there were so many, so I don't know. But I think her mother was the first girl I ever went on a date with. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, we kind of, we grew up in the same uh, church family out in Midland, Texas. Uh, Ramey has her own incredible story of what God has done in her life. And uh, what a pleasant surprise, Ramey, for you to, to be here today, and we're so glad. Um, I want to talk about faith. You know, Irving Church is concerned about making disciples, having a deeper, meaningful, lasting, abiding relationship with the Lord. It's been said by many people that Christianity in America is 3,000 miles long and a half inch deep. Uh, I don't know about that, but that might be true to some extent. In, in many cases, Christianity is very superficial. Uh, in, in many cases, Christianity is such that um, Many people laugh and mock and call Christians hypocrites because that's what they are, many of them. And so there are many negatives, and it's simply because there is a lack of depth to their faith. And so we're going to be talking about some very important issues. This is part one. Part two will be next week. And uh, I hope you, you stay with me uh, today. I'm going to deal with a couple of difficult questions about faith. And then next week, we're going to talk about uh, a more pragmatic, what does faith look like in my life, and how can I have more faith, that sort of thing. So the word faith comes from a Greek term, and it really carries with it the idea of trust, confidence, uh, assurance, and it's called belief. And so when we think about what faith is, let's consider these, some of these words. Faith is trusting. And that's where the big void, the big vacuum exists many times in the lives of Christian people is that 
when it comes right down to it, as life happens, as things go wrong, as we're surprised by the unexpected, there's so many times that we just don't trust God. Many Christians live in fear and doubt, anxiety. Why is that? It's because of a lack of trust. You know, if you know me very well, you know I'm a lifelong, almost a lifelong Dallas Cowboy fan. I do not trust the Cowboys. Uh, I don't have much confidence in the Cowboys from week to week as they play games. I certainly don't have any assurance, especially based on the last 30 years, that they're going to have a winning season, much less be in the playoffs or go to the Super Bowl. And my belief in them is very, very weak. But that's almost a description of the faith that Christians have in God. And so let's talk about some of these things today. And hopefully uh, this will answer some questions and be encouraging. So what is faith? Well, as has already been read to you from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and many of you have memorized the King James Version, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But what I have before you are some other translations. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'm struggling reading that. Should have made it a lighter, whiter font, I guess, huh? Faith is being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. And faith is the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So let's focus on a few things here. Now let's talk about them briefly. There are many examples in the Bible of men and women with great faith. You remember Noah. He was told to build an ark to save his family. And this huge structure that he was supposed to build. And uh, it took him 120 years to build it. And he did it in the face of a lot of mocking. A lot of people thought he was crazy. He was out of his mind. What's wrong with you? You know, he, he, he's telling everybody, well, God told me it's going to rain. Well, up until that point, it had never rained on the earth. So imagine that. Imagine, if you can, people who have never experienced, they've never seen rain. And Noah tells them, water's going to fall out of the sky, and so much water's going to fall out of the sky that it's just going to cover everything and kill every living being. Are you 
chick. No wonder they thought he was crazy. But he believed what God had told him. He trusted regardless of what everybody said, regardless of what everybody thought, regardless of what it looked like. And let's remember, it took him 120 years to complete the task and before this rain happened. So you're hanging around waiting for 120 years for God to do what he said he was going to do. But he did it. He did it. Think about Abraham. God called Abram to leave his home, leave his country, leave his family and everything, and go. Well, I, I like home. I, I, that's where my family, my friends, that, that, that's, where, that's what I know. That's, that's, that's where I live. It's where I was born. What, what do you mean leave? What do you mean go? Go, go where? Go where? And God, in essence, says, oh, I'll tell you when you get there what but he went he went anyway Moses God appears to him in a burning bush a voice yeah guys out in the desert and there's a bush over there and it's on fire but it's not consuming the bush and then a voice comes out of it and God is talking to Moses and God essentially tells him Look, I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh of the kingdom of Egypt, and I want you to tell him to let all the multitude of slaves, all the workers go. Let them go. <laughs> yeah, right. Like Pharaoh is going to listen to me, and Pharaoh's going to just dismiss his workforce. <laughs> oh come on now but he did it he did it so why did men like Noah and Abraham and Moses why did they do this, these things because clearly they trusted God regardless of what God said, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the opposition, regardless of how they may have felt about it, regardless of the probability that th these things would happen. The fact is, they trusted God. They believed Him. When God said something, they believed Him. And we can only assume, because we do not have all the details of their lives, but we can only assume that you would never, no one of us would ever trust anyone on that level unless he had proven himself over and over and over to be faithful, to be true, and to be good. These are the things that they knew about God. He will do what he says. He will come through. I'm going to give you a little example. I thought he was not in the room, but he is. And don't tell anybody I use this illustration, okay? I, this is no reflection on my other kids, okay? 
good or bad, one way or the other. It's no reflection on them whatsoever. They just don't need to hear this. Uh, they're not watching. They're not here. So don't tell them, okay? I believe that if I am in trouble or I have a problem, I have something go wrong, I need help, whatever. You, you can just imagine I know that I can call Drew and he will do everything humanly possible to help me out of whatever situation I'm in. I know that. Many of you know that. That's just, that's just who he is. That's just who he is. That's what he does. I know that. There's a lot of experiences that we have had. And so... I know he's faithful, I know he's true, and I know he will do whatever he needs to do to care for me and to help in any situation. Well, now if there's somebody I don't know very well, or there's some people here in, in this room I don't know very well, I don't trust you like that because I, I don't have any experience with you so trust is on many levels based on reality the reality of what we hope for how can something be real that you haven't even seen well in in our study in first peter in our memory passage which this is what i'm going to talk about uh, some next week at some point in the passage as we're working through it says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. Though you've never seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. How can we trust someone that we've never seen? We trust him because of the reality, because of the evidence, because of the truth. That's why we trust him. I don't have to have his bodily presence standing right next to me. Because even though I've never seen him, I have many experiences with him where he has always come through He's always been there. He's always shown and proven his love for me. And so I can trust him. I trust him. That's what faith is. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, there's two blind men. They asked Jesus to heal them. Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Look at these passages. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. When he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. All of these passages essentially saying the same thing. The result of the healing, the forgiveness, whatever the context was, had something to do with the faith that these people had in Jesus. 
Well, this brings up some questions. What about when someone is not made well? When we've prayed for them. I remember when my dad uh, was at the doctor's office and having a stress test and on a treadmill and because of the information the doctor was receiving at that moment he just shut the treadmill down and, and said told my mother get him to the hospital as fast as you can a few hours later they started doing bypass surgery five bypasses is what they were going to do the surgery took a lot longer than they expected and he never came out of he went into a coma. He never came out of it. Three weeks later, he died. During those three weeks, I probably prayed more time-wise and more fervently than I've ever prayed about anything in my life. And my dad died. You probably know someone dear to you that you prayed for, that they would get well, and they did not get well. You know this. This is our experience. Now, I have prayed for people to get well, and they did. I, I, I've told some of these stories here, and many of you have, have heard them. So I won't go into all of that. If you want to hear some of them, uh, ask me about it, and I'll tell you later. But another question, why are some healed and the majority, at least it seems like the majority of people, are not healed? Is it because of a lack of faith on our part, on their part, or both? What's the deal? What's going on here? God, what are you doing? These are questions that we have. These are questions that we want answered. Why? 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 Why did my mom have to die? Or why did my dad die when your dad got well? And all those kinds of things, you know. Well, let's talk about some of this. First of all, the Bible informs us that there are varying degrees of faith. Uh, for example, there's six times in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels, six times in the Gospels, where Jesus told somebody, you have little faith. Their faith was just a little bit. Well, that's some degree of faith, right? It's just a little bit. Then we read passages like Matthew 8, 10, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus was impressed with this lady's faith. Matthew 15 8, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Stephen and Barnabas are both said uh, to have been full of faith in the book of Acts. So there you've got it. You've got on, on one extreme, I guess, no faith. On the other extreme, never seen anything like it kind of faith. You've got people with a little bit of faith. You've got people with a lot of faith, they're full of faith, and you probably got everything in between, right? That's people. Your faith can be stronger than mine, and mine can be stronger than the next person, 
we don't, have all, we don't all have the same amount of faith. Now, remember we're talking about reality. Remember the definitions of faith. It's the evidence, it's the reality, it's all, all of these things. Faith is not blind. No, our faith is not blind. So, let's think about some things. First of all, if we back up and look at the big picture, we know that we live in a sin-cursed world where everybody sins and everybody dies. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed of the man once to die. But if you read John chapter 11 in a conversation that Jesus had with Martha and Mary, their brother Lazarus had just died three days earlier he was a good friend of Jesus Jesus was not in the neighborhood he wasn't in town when Lazarus was deathly sick word was sent to Jesus you can read about this in John 11 word was sent to Jesus because Mary and Martha believed Jesus could do something about this he could heal their brother from his sickness so what did Jesus do he hopped on a donkey and rode as fast as he could down there and healed the guy no that's not what Jesus did he didn't go anywhere he didn't do anything for three days in fact when he finally does get down there one of the sisters comes out to meet him and they said you know, we sent word to you, if you would have been here, now there's some things implied there, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But then she caught herself, and she said, but I know, you can ask anything and God will do it. And you know the story. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So he raised Lazarus from the dead three days later. So what in the world's going on here? It's almost like initially Jesus ignores her request. He purposefully did not go and heal this man. He let his friend die. He let his friend die. Well, Jesus, why would you do that? If you loved Mary and Martha, and if you loved Lazarus, why would you let him die like that? Well, when we read the whole passage, we learn there was a bigger purpose. The purpose was about the spread of the kingdom. Because Lazarus was raised from the dead, because so many people knew Lazarus had died, and now they see him raised from the dead, many people turned to God. Many people came to believe. This was not just about Lazarus. This was not just about how Mary felt and how Martha felt. This was a much bigger picture. So you might want to pause, hit the pause button before you start questioning God.
okay? You just might want to rethink it. Think about the death and resurrection of Jesus. God let his own son die. Just get right down to it. God let his own son die. In fact, God sent his son to this world to die. He sent him to die. Jesus, the Son of God, is in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before this happens, and he is in such intense agony and emotional stress and pain, and he's begging and pleading with God, listen, don't do this. Don't do this. God does it anyway. God didn't care about Jesus' son. Is that your conclusion? Well, that's the conclusion we make about ourselves a lot of times. When our prayer doesn't get answered in the way or the time that we think it's answered, we begin to think the devil puts thoughts in our head, the enemy puts these things in our mind, oh, God doesn't care about me anymore. Where's God? He doesn't love me. Did God not love his son? Well, of course he did. Again, back up. Look at the big picture. What's going on here? The salvation of the world? That's what's going on here. The greatest thing that ever happened in the history of humanity, the greatest act that God ever did was let his son die and raise him from the dead to overcome and defeat Satan and evil and sin and death. That's what God did. Yes, that's what God did. Somebody needs to remind us from time to time. When we are turning inward, when we are focusing on our feelings and our misguided thoughts, let's help each other step back and see a bigger picture. Okay? That's why some are healed and some are not. There are things going on in God's kingdom that we don't even know about. We don't know. We don't know what's best. We don't know many times what God is doing. But the thing is, we can trust him. We trust that he knows. We trust that he cares. We trust that he loves. We believe in him. No matter what happens, or no matter how it happens. But Wait a minute. Now, doesn't Jesus promise that we will receive whatever we ask for? Well, let's look, let's look at this. Consider this. Many of you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Read the book of Daniel, the first part of the book of Daniel. You'll find this story. It's a cool story. It's a great story. I'm not going to spend much time on it other than to say this. Bottom line, these Hebrew children were faithful to God, but they're in a foreign country, a pagan country, and the king makes a decree that every time music is played randomly, when the band strikes up, and when you hear music played, 
boom, you fall down and you worship the statue of me. That's what the king did. He wanted everybody to bow down to him. And so this idol, the statue was built, and every time music played, everybody would stop what they're doing, and I mean, boom, you fall on the ground, and if you don't, you're going to die. These Hebrew boys, they didn't fall down. Well, what's going to happen? Well, somebody's going to ride on them. Word gets back to the king. King shows up. What? <laughs> what's wrong with you? You don't know that I have the power of life or death with you? You don't get that? I'm going to give you another chance. Oh, what a great guy. He's going to give him another chance. Strike up the band. Watch them to see if they fall down. Here's your chance. Live or die. Right now, what you going to do? Boom. The music plays, and they refuse to bow down. Look at what they told the king. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. That's the way the king was going to kill him. Throw him in the fire. So number one, our God is able to deliver us. Number two, he will deliver us. He's not just able, he will. But now, don't forget the next sentence. But if not, you see that? God is able to deliver us. He's going to deliver us, but he might not. Now, how, how do you put that together? How do you juxtapose those positions? Here's the thing. God might not always do what we believe he's going to do. And they knew that. They knew that. They believed that he would do it. They trusted that he would save them. But they knew the possibility existed that he wouldn't. You know, if I climb up on top of a tall building... And I believe that I can jump and land on my feet and it will not hurt me. What's going to happen to me when I jump? Well, I'm going to be splattered all over the ground, that's what. Sometimes we can be wrong. Sometimes we can be wrong or we can be mistaken about what we believe God is going to do or what God will do. They knew he could. They believed that he would. But they also knew there is a possibility that this might not be the way he handles this situation. Either way, and, and this is the lesson, this is the, the point, either way, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing if God does 
what he's able to do, if he does what we believe he will do, or if he decides for whatever reason not to do it, that's not going to change. We are going to do the right thing. We're going to obey God. Now consider the death and resurrection of Jesus. God did not answer Jesus' request, but Jesus was obedient to God anyway. There's our example. Now, the beauty is to contemplate resurrection, okay? Because resurrection is the key element in all of this. It's the big picture in all of this. It's what God's doing with all of this. You see, what God is doing is He is in the process through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is bringing souls to Him for a new heavens and new earth. That's what He's doing. The old is worn out. It's passing away. But he is creating something new, and this is the beginning of it. This is how he's going to do it. God is going to resurrect the world, the earth. Read Romans 8. God is going to do something as incredibly amazing and fantastic as when he created the universe in the first place. That's what God's doing. And so we can trust that. Now, Matthew 21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you can say to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea, it'll happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you receive. If you have faith, you can throw a mountain in the sea. That's what it says. Did Jesus ever throw a mountain in the sea? Not that I know of. Did an inspired apostle ever throw a mountain in the sea? Is there anybody in the Bible that ever threw a mountain in the sea? Literally? No. Okay. Flashing sign here. This is a figure. Okay? This means something. But you don't take this literally. How do we understand it? You know, some people have accused me of, of, of the Bible says something and then I'm saying it, that it doesn't say that. Well, that's what I'm going to tell you right here. The Bible says, Jesus, Jesus, out of the words of Jesus Christ, he said, if you believe, you can throw a mountain into the sea. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not what this means. Okay? How are we going to understand what it means? We're going to look at the context. The context always helps us understand the true meaning of a passage. So what's going on here? Well, if you read a few verses before, Jesus has rode into Jerusalem. He's gone into the temple, and he's overturned the tables of the money changers. He's run them out from the temple. The verses after that. He tells two parables, one of two sons and one of a group of evil farmers. And the scripture tells us plainly that after that, 
they got so angry and mad and wanted to kill him because they perceived he was talking about them, the Jewish leaders. So he tells the Jewish leaders, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce fruit. So what's going on here? What's the context here? Look, keep on reading. When you get to chapter 24, Jesus tells the destruction of Jerusalem. What's going on? Back up. Look at the big picture. Back up. What is God doing? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Anytime your prayer doesn't seem to be answered, anytime you don't understand what God's doing or what God's not doing, I implore you to back up and look at the big picture. Look at the cross. You can trust God. I don't care what things look like. I don't care how you perceive it. I don't care what Satan puts in your mind. Don't believe it. Trust God. He knows what he's doing. What was he doing here? He was about to do away with the temple itself. He's going to flatten it. Jesus said not one stone will be left on another. He is overturning Something that is massive, something that is huge, something that might be called a mountain. You see? Jesus is throwing a mountain in the sea, all right. What he's doing is much greater feat than if he literally threw a mountain into the ocean. Because he is taking the whole Jewish economy, the Jewish nation, the whole temple religious system, and he is making it obsolete and doing something brand new with it. Wow. You see what God's doing? You can trust him. As they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look at the fig tree you cursed. It's withered. Jesus said, have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, same thing I just said. That's Mark's account. What's the fig tree? If the mountain is symbolic, what's the fig tree? You know what? As in most of Jesus' parabolic, metaphorical things, the real thing was there. He literally cursed a fig tree and it withered. And, G and, and, and the disciples come back to, whoa, look at that. Yesterday you cursed it and today it's all withered. Wow. And Jesus talks about throwing a mountain into the sea. But see, here's the thing. Again, we have to look at a greater context, a bigger picture. The fig tree often in Scripture represented the nation of Israel. This particular fig tree had no fruit on it. It was not fruitful. And by cursing it, killing it, in other words, Jesus was saying that tree's never going to produce any fruit. Well, the tree represented Israel. And Israel, in its current condition, apart from Jesus Christ, was never going to be worth anything. There's the mountain that Jesus threw into the sea. How do I know that? Again, we look at a bigger context. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 through 10. Now let me give you a backstory. The children of Israel have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 
A new king had taken over the world, Cyrus, king of Persia, and God put it in his heart to let the people go back to their homeland. They were six, seven hundred miles away. They got to go home. About 50,000 of them went home, and Zerubbabel was commissioned by God to rebuild the temple. Zechariah and Haggai were prophets in those days. And Zechariah says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, the conversation, what's going on here, is Zerubbabel was commissioned to build the temple. And God is encouraging him. And, and I'll show you in a minute why he needed encouragement. You can read the story in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, and I encourage you to do that and get the full picture of why Zechariah was discouraged. He had laid the foundation of the temple, and then he was commissioned by one of the greatest authorities and kings of the earth to stop building, and he was threatened. And there were many political obstacles, and he could not continue. And it was a time of great discouragement. It was a time of fear. They were afraid to finish the temple. And God says through the prophet, Zerubbabel, this ain't up to you, buddy. It's by my spirit, by my power, by my might, not yours. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Now that had to be encouraging. In spite of everything that had happened and all the time that had gone by, God is saying through the prophet, Zerubbabel, you're going to finish this thing. You're going to finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. What does that mean? Well, again, if you look at the context, if you look at the bigger picture of what was going on, the older generation that had gone down there, they made light of what Zerubbabel had done. All you've done is you're supposed to build the temple and all you got is the foundation and you stopped and it looked like a hopeless situation and even when they looked at the foundation, they were like, this is nothing like Solomon's temple. This is nothing like the house of God. What? But those people who despised that day of small accomplishments, the day would come where they would rejoice in what God has done. You see, here's the deal. Zerubbabel laid the foundation in 536 B.C., it was 20 years later before the temple was finished. 20 years. 20 years. Did God do what he said he was going to do? When the very first time he told Zerubbabel, he told him, you go down there and you build my house. And in spite of all the opposition, in spite of the fact that it stopped, in spite of all the discouragement, all the fear, 
God told him, I am going to do what I told you to do, and you're going to be the man to do it. And 20 years later, it was done. And I'm going to leave you with this this morning. The apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, Jesus said, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Jesus liked to throw things into the sea, didn't he? <laughs> so, the point I want to make is this. Jesus told him, if you just have a little bit of faith, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed. Look what I can do. So this morning, don't beat yourself up for your lack of faith. All those times, all those events, all those moments, all those times when we think about, man, if I, I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what happened to this situation. I, I guess I just don't have enough faith. I guess I just didn't pray hard enough. I hadn't read my Bible enough. I'm not as close to the Lord as I need to be. I just don't have the faith. I just can't. I, I don't. Stop it. Stop it. Trust the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the most intelligent, wise, perfect, loving individual ever. Trust God, he is doing a magnificent work, a great work, and it's a lot bigger than you, and it's a lot bigger than me, and we just are so blessed and fortunate we get to play a little tiny role in it. Trust God with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust God.